this thing because a couple of our dive participant, participants, um, Josiah and Genevieve, are traveling and they're not here today. So I thought I'd at least see if we could get a recording on here. So hi, Josiah and Genevieve. Um, let's open with a word of prayer. Um, our God of grace, as we, as we enter into a time of um, just considering some really cool and um, elucidating kind of metaphors and images about who you are and your grace for our lives, as we ponder that and think about what that means for us, may you be present. Um, may your love be present. May your love um, catch our hearts and remind us that we are loved. And um, so may new things happen today as a result of listening to your voice and um, listening to your spirit. And I pray that this time would be just so beneficial to everyone here in terms of where they are in their lives, where they've been, and where they're going. Um, so please join us. You with those who are traveling, who can't be with us, uh, Josiah and Genevieve, bring, bring them back safely. Um, and thank you that they could be a part of this group as well. Um, we, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, yeah, welcome. So, this, this, this handout, the handouts are in front of you, and it's the most um, kind of um, extensively drawn out uh, handout that I've done yet for this, and I'm not going to go through everything on here. In fact, most of what's on here I'm not going to deal with. It's just a for your information packet. You'll get a sense as we uh, get through this that the real transformation in this is, um, is in what happens, what you do with this information, like where it goes from here. Um, so one of the things you could do is spend time with the things in here, read them more, consider them, and uh, use it as in terms of what you do moving forward with this information. Um, but I, but I, will, I will highlight a, a few things as we start from here, and then we'll get into kind of the fun part. Um, and if you're in dive, notice that the back page has uh, kind, of the, kind of the business of dive on there. Um, where we're at has some dates and what's going on. So just so you know, there's uh, some things to track with in terms of assignments. So there's a link to uh, something to listen to would be one of the assignments. And then above that where it says Dive 2016 follow-up, there's a couple of things there that are real important to pay attention to if you're in Dive. I will hit that quickly at the end, but I just want, especially if you're in Dive, I want you to see that that's there. Um, okay, so the gospel. What is the gospel? What is it? What's that? Good news. Good news. Yes. Good news. Is it literally what it means um, in the Greek? You know, that's where it comes from. It's good news. Um, part of it, in Dive, we tell our story. Everybody tells their story to the group. Part of my story is to say I grew up uh, learning a lot of language about the Christian faith, and I could tell, give you kind of a definition of the gospel, um, but it hadn't yet come alive, really, in terms of my life. So it was like something that I maybe had with me in the car or in the trunk, but it wasn't driving the car. It wasn't the engine. And that, but the gospel, that's really what it is and what it's for. It's like putting an engine in a trunk if you just say, like, oh, yeah, I, get, I got the gospel. Like, I, I can tell you about it, a few things about it. And actually what happens is the more you get it, the more it's driving you, the less you feel like you can define it. So, so it's almost like, like, oh, you think you could tell me five points about exactly what it is? I, mean, I don't know if you get it. 
You know, and someone else says, I, I, I can't even string together a sentence about what it is. Like, oh, you might be getting it, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of how the gospel can work. And historically, there's some great quotes around that. Let me just hit three of the Bible passages on here to just kind of get us going here. Isaiah 55. Or no, first, first the ones down lower where it says Romans. So down here, two-thirds of the way down, there's three little sentences from the book of Romans that I'll read. One says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And then this next one from Romans says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the last one, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Uh, A second text I want to just read. I'm just going to read these briefly. Um, Isaiah 55. It's it's on the right-hand side of the middle of the page. Come, all who are thirsty. Imagine if this is how you fit into this this passage. Are you have you come? Have you have you are you thirsty? Or did you already drink? Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you have you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Money without or without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Kind of tuck that away. What are you what are you spending your money on, you know, metaphorically, that's actually not really satisfying? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. And then Jesus, from John chapter 4, down at the bottom, the second to last paragraph, Jesus answered her, and some of you know what this story is from, the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So those are actually just a couple snippets pulled out of a story. Um, Water. Grace. And now... Let me just, if you flip the page over, so, so these are two resource pages that I'm giving you a teaser of. The second resource page is about quotes about the gospel. Let me start with the one that's two-thirds of the way down that says, how are you righteous with God? Well, I know this is kind of heady theology stuff, and it's an old catechism question and answer, but just listen to this. This is a summary of what the Bible teaches. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Now, now here comes kind of the bad news. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined towards all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned or been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. That is a a great summary of the gospel, of the good news. It's so shocking. It's so 
you know, you, you start with this bad news and then all of a sudden you're just swept off your feet with this incredibly good news that has come in and changed things. And it does, it does have that effect on people. So here's a couple personal quotes. One is from, if you go further to the top, where it says Nathan Cole. Nathan Cole was a semi-literate farmer in Connecticut in 1741. Upon hearing George Whitfield preach the gospel, he said, My hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. And by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken. And I saw that my righteousness could not save me. See, it works different than you think. Because most people think, you're going to go to church, you're going to do the God thing. Well, now i got to get my righteousness together because my righteousness is going to save me. And, it's like, and, and the real transformation happens when you get that you can't and that God has done that already for you. Martin Luther puts it this way. If you go to the exact middle of that same page, last quote that we'll deal with, very short. He says, the gospel is not, give me your virtue and I will crown it with grace, but despise your sin and I will shower you with mercy. So, hey guys. Welcome. So uh, this gets you, this is, those are teasers. So now you've got the handout to take home. You can read more of that. Turn to page three, if you will. And that's our, our more simple kind of handout. There's more handouts, by the way, Justin and Julia over there on that table. If you guys are hanging out, um, you could have one. And any of you, if we have leftovers and you know someone who you think this would be great to hand them, um, you know, go for it. Use your judgment, though. <laughs> who you give it to, right? Um, some pe- you know, sometimes people aren't ready for stuff. So, so now let's move on to page three. This is the, this is the real meat and potatoes of what we're doing today. I'm going to just talk us through some things. You don't really need the paper until we get to the point where I say, okay, now, okay, I've, I've told you kind of a picture. I painted a picture. Now do something with it yourself. We'll have these little times where you are, are told to jot something down and then to just share a little bit around the table. And I just want you to know on the front end, very all kinds of permission to, to not share or to be really shallow in what you share. You know, because, you know, this can get, this can get, you know, this can get, if you're really being honest, this stuff can, you know, get deep and, you know, you might not be ready with the people who are here yet. So it takes time. In the dive group, we're going to get so this is, you know, we're going to have a lot of getting real about this stuff. But hey, if you're visiting and you're not in the dive group, then just feel free to, to not have to feel like you have to bear your soul with people that you haven't done that before with. So let's talk about the well of living water, image number one. So these are images that I'm painting for you. Um, remember what Jesus said about this well of living water to the woman? Um, you'll never thirst again. Let's, let's go with that analogy. And let's, let's realize that life for us, spiritually speaking, life is like we are walking around in a really hot desert and we're at the edge of, constantly it seems, at the edge of life and death. And we're thirsty. We're always thirsty. Life for everyone is like this. You have a thirst... The world's beating you down, and it's heating up, and the conditions are not positive towards survival. Spiritually speaking, inside and out, life is beating you down, and we are all 
whether you like to admit it or not, we're all right now, we're manage, managing that thirst in some way. There's a thirst. There's a thirst that's not met, and you're trying to get it met in some way. And we have signs of this. The proof that actually that this is true comes out in all kinds of different ways. Um, all kinds of undesirable activity in your life. Usually there's something, like you could think of just today, something in your life that you're involved in or that you do or is a part of like kind of how you react to situations or there's, or, or sure, you can put yourself removed and, and look at somebody else's undesirable activity, but there's something in your life, in all of our lives somewhere, that the fact that your thirst is not getting met is showing itself in some way. Even if you're really good at hiding it, you probably know deep down that it's there. It shows up maybe in conflict, in your anger, in your jealousy, in your gossip, in your just whatever it is, you're thirsty. And it, it hasn't been met yet. Or it hasn't been fully met. So now, let's, let's, let's paint this picture. You're in a desert. And there actually is what Jesus said there is. There is, there is a well for all of us. And yet that, Jesus makes it actually sound really easy that you can just go to the well and you can just start drinking. And then you have life. And you're good. And all that other stuff, all that undesirable stuff, will go away, right? Because you'll just, you know where the water is now, and you just, that's where you go to drink, and now your thirst is satisfied. Easy. And if we're all pictured as people running around in the desert, there's all different approaches that we take, the, even though there's a well right out there. One of the approaches is not even really familiar that the well exists. And so you're doing what everybody's got to be doing, you're just running around. So maybe you could categorize this as the, the irreligious person, the you know, person just living totally disrespective of any kind of well that's out there and running around in the desert convinced that there's some solution to this thirst that they're chasing after. Um, if you're really honest, although we usually aren't, if this person was really honest, you could get them to say, yeah, no, the truth is I'm real, still really thirsty and I haven't found it. But usually, we're not even that honest with ourselves. So one is just you're running around aimlessly. Second, and picture yourself. What, which, which of these appro approaches resonates with you or lines up with you, either in your life right now or in a phase of your life earlier? Others are running away intentionally from the well. There has been this well that you've been familiarized with, but you want nothing to do with it. Um, if you're here today at this presentation, it's a little bit unlikely that this would be you right now, because you're actually right here. You're at the well, you know, you're coming to find out. But you know, we go through phases, and I know some of you have had that, and you got friends who are running away from the well. So what often goes into this is someone, the well has been contaminated and poisoned for you, or you think it is, and it's like, you know, there's been religious religious stuff that's gone on from maybe leaders or friends, and and there's been not not positive stuff around this well. And for you, it's, be, it, it's not a living water kind of place. And so it's like, uh-uh-uh, I want nothing to do with it. So that's one of the things you can do. Um, you know, I may be thirsty, but I sure as heck am not going to try to answer my thirst at that well. Another one is you can be, and this is what I resonate with, um, having grown up, you know, sorry, but all my life around church people and in church stuff, I, this, I resonate with this, and I've told my story to most of you, and you've heard it. Running around the well religiously, um, but never stopping to take a drink. How, how strange is that? But it happens all the time. Um, running around the well, the real thing is like stop, drink, but 
there's a sense in which if you're running around the well, you're actually, you're actually trying to satisfy your own thirst with the, your very sweat that you're producing through your effort. And of course it doesn't work, um, and so you, your thirst is never quenched, but for some reason you can't find a way to just stop and drink. You're trying to do it yourself. Um, and that, so, so this is a way in which um, church people can be running away from God just as much as people who aren't in church, if that makes sense. Um, and then fourthly, there's the person who has found the well, knelt down, and is drinking. You know, convinced in that, um, convinced of the, if we're talking about the gospel, convinced of the gospel, convinced of God's goodness, God's love, knowing that it doesn't come from me, I just need to stop, I need to receive, I need to drink. And you're convinced and convi- committed to the fact that, yes, I live in a desert, and yes, it's, a, it's life or death, and um, I'm not going to go running around the desert anymore. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to place myself here, and as much as possible, I'm going to have the water quench my thirst instead of everything else. So let's take 30 seconds and look down at the handouts and jot down... Um, something of what what you might resonate most with on this list. So let me read them. The well of living water. Am I running aimlessly? Am I running away? Uh, Am I running around the well religiously? Did the well wall jump out at me and halted my running? That can happen. God has a way of even when we're running away from him, showing up in our lives. Are you strolling around in a thirsty stupor? What well? Are you skeptical of the well's contents? Or are you sipping occasionally? Or are you kneeling and gulping often? Take 30 seconds. Make a note. Um, And I'm going to move into the one that's labeled the prodigal sons. Prodigal sons. So this is a story that Jesus told um, to get at these spiritual realities. And uh, does anybody remember it? Anybody heard of it? Luke chapter 15, the prodigal sons. It's my favorite scripture. Mm. Will you go ahead and tell it to us right now? No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, so... And, and, and usually the Bible will have the heading, the prodigal son, and that's how I learned of it. But people have gotten kind of clever with that, and this will get at where this is going in prodigal sons. Um, like different ways of running away from God. So let's jump, let me jump into just telling you the basics of the story. I won't read it, but it's in Luke chapter 15, if you wanted to read it. And the story goes that there is a, a man who had two sons. And there's an older son, son and a younger son. And the younger son had this grass is greener, I know better, I need to get out of here. Um, there's a better land somewhere else. There's a better life for me somewhere else. And he cashed in on his inheritance early, which was a slap to the face of this father because it's basically saying in this culture, I want you dead, you know, you're better off dead to me. So give me the money I would get when you die. I'm gone, you'll never see me again. Um, a huge affront to his family and to his father. So he takes his inheritance, he goes to a far-off land to live for himself with no regard 
of his rightful father. Um, but the shallow in- inheritance runs out, of course, um, and he, it stops satisfying him and stops being fun, and he has a moment of clarity. He's, and it happens to be he's, he's working on a farm, and he's working with pigs, and he's, he's hungry, he's so hungry that he wishes he could eat what the pigs are eating. That now looks good to him. And he has this moment of awareness. Um, he says something like, even the hired servants in my father's kingdom are better fed than how I'm fed here in this land. And so it, it's kind of cool, I think, that he has a vision of the lavishness of his father's land. And that's part of the clarity that he has of going back. But he decides to return, but it's a, it's a self-salvation strategy, turns out. Because he cooks up this whole speech, but it's basically a speech where he's going to try to work his way back into some servanthood status in his father's kingdom. He figures he has no chance of anything else, but maybe I can work my way in. I'll work off my debt and, and be like a hired servant, like just a, the lowest of the low in the kingdom of my father. And to his great su- surprise, when he gets there, um, the, the father lavishly bestows grace on him and welcomes him back to the full status. And, and it's exhibited in these cool ways in the story where this father does this very unmanly thing that wouldn't have been done or would have been very embarrassing or shameful that he, he's running and he runs out and he embraces the son and he puts his ring on the son's finger and he declares a feast and calls for the fattened calf to be you know, the centerpiece of this feast. And um, it's lavish, lavish, lavish acceptance. For the son, it's more than his wildest dreams, right? So this is a picture of God's grace for us. Um, His full status is reinstated, and it's all at the father's expense, and the father's loss, and at the father's embarrassment. So to the youngest son, this is, I mean, this is a, a, he didn't even imagine. This is a second lease on life. This is, um, you know, life is transformed now from the inside out because um, he's so thoroughly aware of his need that he knows what he doesn't deserve. He's getting what he doesn't deserve. It's the kind of experience that will now forever make him a different kind of child of the king. He'll forever be there. How, How could you not be radically changed in just how you operate and how you act? if your whole life has been given back to you by this huge act of grace. Um, Now, the older brother, the good son, is there, and he's he's resentful of the grace being given. And so his take on it is, um, you know, you didn't, for me, even give me and my friends a young goat to celebrate. This is old farmer, you know, agrarian language. Um, you know, our kids today would say, you didn't even give me a, what is it, but PlayStation 3 or like a, you know, whatever. It, <laughs> you, didn't give me, you didn't give me an iPhone. You didn't even give me a flip phone, you know. <laughs> you, did, you didn't even give me uh, a young goat, and yet you've killed the fattened calf for him? So the older, the, older, the older son now in the end, first of all, the younger one was running away from really the land of the father and the heart of the father and the party of the father is running away to seek a party elsewhere. Now he's back in the party. And now the elder son is, is geographically even spatially in the story. He's standing outside the party when it's happening. 
And then he's resentful and he's, he's seeing the unfairness of grace because he doesn't think, well, actually, he doesn't think he needs it. He doesn't, he doesn't get grace because he doesn't feel like he needs it because he thinks he's got it all together. So the father has an amazing feast. There's this, God is like a father with an amazing feast ready and prepared. And there's two ways actually to miss it. There's two ways to run away from it. One is by running away from him intentionally and the other way is to resent grace. There's two salvations, self-salvation strategies that you could choose. Now, with that in mind, Let's do this again. Let's just take a second and process this together. So as you look down at the page, and again, I love, I love the question. You can definitely find yourself in multiple answers here. So are you, the, are you feeling like any of these things that are listed here under the elder son or the younger son? Um, like you've never left home? Um, or like you're still at home but itching to leave? You're in a distant country having a blast. You're starting to realize, I'm in a pig pen. Uh, you're nervously on the way home. You're back at home. You're enjoying the party. And then uh, the other line, are, are you working in the fields out back? Are you feeling cold and left out? Are you serious and bitter, asking the servant what's going on? Are you making snide accusations against your little brother? Are you angry and depressed? Or are you inside dancing at the party? Take 30 seconds. Circle, jot something down, draw a picture. Uh, whatever, and then we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more. All right. Sorry if I'm interrupting. Uh, a great deep thought. Try to, try to flag it and come back to it later. Um, so I, we're going to move on to one more. Um, and this is uh, God the bartender. What if God was a bartender? Um, There's a, a great quote that I, I'll summarize it because it's in Old English, and it, and it was really Old English. And, um, but it goes basically like this, that God, towards the people who seek him, is like, and the word used is taverner, an old word for like a, a, a bar owner. God is like a taverner who wants nothing more, or who has the best drink available for those who seek him. And once loves nothing more than for them to come and drink it and be so surprised at how good the drink is that they then would go and spend the rest of their lives and the rest of whatever they have investing it and pouring it into getting more of this drink. So that's the, that's the kind of the nugget of the quote that this comes from um, in terms of, you know, thinking through this image. Um, God the bartender. So, imagine, I don't know, what are you, what are you guys into? What kind of, like, favorite beverages do we have here? I like, you know, I like IPA, you know, a, a, maybe a Belgian ale. But are there any other favorite kind of beverages out here? Tom Collins? All right. Tom Collins. How do you make a Tom Collins? Gin. 
gin and like, like citrus. Yeah. citrus stuff. Sure. Kombucha. Kombucha. <laughs> kombucha. <laughs> Who knows what kombucha is? Yeah? Yeah? It's a tea, fermented tea beverage that, yeah, 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 no, that's cool. Um, and so if you want to know how to make it, who, who makes kombucha? I do, by the way. Anybody know how to make okay. kombucha? Okay, so kombucha. What, what's that new coffee called? It's like, a, it's like a something that's drawn out of the coffee bean, and, and sometimes people infuse it with nitro so that it's fizzy. Has anybody heard of these new coffee, like these cold coffee drinks? Got a weird name. It's got a name about as memorable as kombucha. It's like a weird name, and it's some it's new. Busy coffee. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, tempted to go down that road for a long, long time, but I we're just going to kind of close the deal on uh, the taverner analogy. So let me draw out that quote into something that kind of I think is for all of us. So imagine. So what is your favorite drink? Get it kind of in your head. Your favorite kind of you know, drink, and it's the best made version of it. So picture that God is like um, the one who owns this place that produces this drink and has a, has a bar with stools at it and is ready, has all these, your drink on tap, ready to give it to you, ready for you to be so satisfied at the sipping of this beverage, whatever it would be. But there's a problem, is that... Um, we actually aren't, for whatever reason, sitting at the, at the bar. We aren't sitting in the chair. There's a chair with our name on it. There's this, God is like this bartender who's calling our name. You know, maybe picture the old saloon western places where the, the, the doors, you know, like this, you know, in the movies, like the doors go like. And so it's easy access to just come in and burst in, but he's calling us, got a seat with our name, and it's easy access and we're actually not that far away, but for whatever reason, we don't hear his voice. We're not at the bar. We don't come in. We're not drinking. Um, and all this, of course, a metaphor for the gospel, for God's love for us, for God's grace for us. In fact, what happens is, and I love the desert kind of thing, what happens is where we are is actually kind of out back, and behind it is just more wasteland and desert. And we're off making journeys out into the desert and coming back, but what actually happens is most of the time we don't go into, we don't even know there's a front of this building. We're at the back of the building, not where the door is, but where there's this little pipe with a, with a hose bib on the end of it, a spigot, and, we're, and it's a contaminated water that comes out of the back. It's rusty old Flint, Michigan pipes. And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, and, and we're back, and we're convinced this is the best drink ever, and we're down on the ground, turning our head up, and we're trying to drink this stuff, and it's just contaminated, polluted water. And yet, all the while, you know, just, so spiritually speaking, that's kind of what we're doing. That's the way life is. In the meantime, there's this voice calling our name, calling our name, wishing that we would, you know, if we would just get one taste... If, oh, if we could taste it, you know what we would do? We would sell everything to get more of it. We would give up, I mean, all those things that seem so important would be out the window, and instead we're choosing this contaminated spigot. All right, so that, that one's kind of short. Let's, let's go now and look at your paper, and there's three questions. Um, that these are, you know, hey, maybe you're not going to jot something down now, 
Maybe you're just going to stew on it and talk and listen to others. But if you want to, you can put answers down. And you could even take this and go do a lot of journaling about this later in your private time praying and reading scripture. An area of my life, an area of sin in my life that is like the contaminated spigot is. So there, it gets real personal. You know, everybody's covering their answer with their, <laughs> their hand, right? So... Um, number two, what drowns out or tunes out the sound of the cheerful bartender's voice? What is it? And then to find myself on the stool enjoying this drink, his drink at the bar might mean I would have to... What? Um... All right, so hey, so this that we've done the main three kind of analogies. We've talked talked about it a little bit. Um, thanks for diving into this together. Um, I'm gonna um, let, let's just open it up a little bit and just are there any takeaways? Because now we're in wrap up mode. Um, I'll close in prayer in in a few minutes. I'll, I'll just read a couple things off the back page. I might, I might read one more thing off here, but we're, you know, we're in the, la- we're in the home stretch last 10 minutes here together. What, are there any takeaways that you know, came up at the table or came up not at the table, but that, that can help us just to know how this is bouncing off everybody's lives today? Well, we're pretty hard on ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. She said we're really hard on ourselves. We're all, we're all really hard on ourselves. No, not not you, John. No, <laughs> no but I, I would say, I would say honestly, I, I got some very worthwhile insights into you know, a few of the gospel mm. ones that have mystified me mm. uh, you know, through each of us sharing yeah. uh, you know, what it meant for our life. Yeah, yeah, some of the same dynamics, huh? Well, Take some of the same answers. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's kind sure. of interesting how some people will say, it makes me realize I'm too hard on myself, and other people will say, I've been too easy on myself. You know, it's like, mm. We can't earn God's love. We have it already. But I'm talking about just saying, oh, kind of the cheap grace thing. Where, oh, I don't have to do that thing today. I mean, God loves me anyway. I I worked with a woman one time. She said, well, God forgives everything anyway. Mm. (laughs) You know, and it's like, well, I don't know if that's exactly true. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you can live that way sometimes. Like, well, he loves me. I can skip a few days here. But it's... uh,
thanks for that. That's that's good. Whenever I think of, because that question comes up a lot about like, if, um, you know, if God's so gracious, then is there any incentive to do any good? Um, it's it's just funny because in in Romans chapter six, that is exactly the question. So that question has been around for two thousand years, and um, Romans chapter six. Now I've piqued your interest if you haven't read it before. Just read Romans chapter six if you're thinking about that question. Um, any other takeaways of having a talk like this and what it's like to be to be doing it, or something specific that came up, or Sam, right? Yeah. yeah. I see God as like the biggest boss, like not the biggest, what I mean by boss is like the most talented um, spirit, like he can basically do everything and all of us are his children and each of us are talented in specific kind of skills and we all need each other because like even though we feel that there's certain tasks that we put ourselves in or might be a challenge and some of us can accomplish it because we were created for this purpose and we had a talent to be able to succeed and then there's tasks where we might face and we just have to try our best and we may not be greater than this person but this is why we met this person or they were placed into our lives so we could be able to bring somebody else and meet that person and the challenge that you could not fully succeed you found somebody else to be able to take over and help, you know, that other person overcome that challenge. And at least you tried, and trying makes you realize that this is not your strongest, you know, but you might be stronger in other things, and you won't know unless you take the challenge. So I just, that's how I see, like, we, when it comes to being hard on yourself, it's really more mainly about, like, taking a risk, Taking that, taking that chance, see if you're great at it. If you're not, accept it, find other things you can do, you know, and you won't know unless you take the chance. And then you also have to be available to see other people and see what they're great at and put people in your life to help other people, you know, that you might not be capable of doing or they can help you, you know? So that's how I see that. Thanks, Sam. This is really cool. Thank you guys all for coming. Um, let me uh, let me just as as you look at this handout, just note that as you browse it, that there's I already introduced you kind of to page one and page two of hey you know if you're still scratching your head or you just need more to work on to think it through to pray through this idea of what the, how the gospel gets into your life. It's, there's just stuff here. And then last year, I read through these. I'm not going to now, but there's gospel application on page four. So I, I just took three life issues of anger, financial anxiety, and insecurity. 
And I just walked through what the gospel does with that issue in a way that, you know, kind of makes sense to me from a biblical perspective. So that's just, hey, you know, you could do that with a number of issues, but consider, consider reading those to kind of get a sense of like, oh, that's how the gospel works its way into issues in my life. And then the back page just has things that, um, just new other ways of elucidating and getting the gospel kind of to make sense. And I thought I would close, well, almost close, but I would read the one called Inflation Deflation, and we won't break out and discuss it, but just sort of like to give you a sample of these other kind of things. So this one goes like this. What do you use to validate yourself? Just stop and just you sort of think of that, your answer to that question. What do you do, use to validate yourself? Is it performance, accomplishments, wealth, status, physical beauty, friends, social status, romance, uh, dating life, spouse, kids, fame? And basically, you answer the question, if blank happens, you know, if whatever your, your thing is, if blank happens, I know I'm okay and worthwhile. And the results of that are, are A, if that happens, you have an overinflated sense of value that is hollow. Pop. <laughs> Result B, if that doesn't happen, then you have a false overdeflation of self. You are either puffed up or so deflated and feel worthless that you lose all sense of being created in the image of God. Sometimes in life you can go from one to the next. You can get, literally in one single day, you can go from that overinflated to overdeflated, um, can't see your own worth at all. So what does the gospel do? The gospel balances two things that keep you from both results and help you avoid chasing after an unsatisfying validation in all of life. A, I'm more sinful than I care to admit. I don't measure up. I can't please God or successfully run my own life. Before God, if I'm keeping it real, I admit I'm unworthy. But, and B, God has graciously validated all those who come to him in Christ's name. So Christ's worth has been transferred on us. We are beloved as if we had never strayed or messed up. We are given the status of children of God, just like Jesus is God's son. Not based on anything we've done, but on the sure record and sacrifice and worth of Jesus Christ. So, if I'm remembering the gospel, I avoid the depths of deflation. I'm not worthy. I'm a mess. And the false heights of self-absorption. I'm amazing. Look at me. And we remember that even though I fall short, I'm held up and can hold my head up every day because God has made something out of me. So, that's just another way of like kind of looking at the gospel. Um, so for the dive people, and then we'll close in prayer after I just read through this. At the, at the backside, I just want to point out, and then for those of you who aren't in the dive group, it's a group that lasts about 10 months, and we meet once a month, and there's one-on-one -on -one meetings that happen as well. So it's like discipleship and a small group all wrapped up together around the issues of your story, God's grace, the gospel, and taking a risk in faith. So right now we're in the middle of it in the gospel part. So just for those of you who are in it, um, spend at least one hour, preferably a couple of times, in prayer and meditation about today's talk. Seek to flesh out the blanks that were in the, in the, uh, in the handout. Go somewhere peaceful and alone, perhaps a spot you already use. Perhaps this means creating or finding such a place. Key questions. 
how, how do any of these gospel concepts reveal something about me? And how, um, and how I have not been living from the gospel's grace. And how I can see the gospel needs to speak to me in a particular way. So, I even leave you a, a sentence there where you can get specific and write it down. When are you going to do that? Okay, secondly, within the next week, if you're in dive, schedule an appointment with me. Your next one-on-one, we'll talk about all this stuff. And then I list a bunch of questions there that kind of guide, guide that next meeting. And then underneath that, uh, dive folks, where our next meeting is June 27 and then August 29. The June 27 one, the focus is what I just read there about processing this meeting, but there's also this link there, that hypertext there with the app.box.com. So there's something to listen to. And then on the 29th, we're all going to share our, our growth plans on that meeting. So that's one of the assignments that's in that in the syllabus description that you guys know about. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna close in prayer. Any final comments or something that just just needs to get said or uh, needs to be shared? I'm, I'm really grateful that you came, and I hope that this that God uses this in a really positive way in your life. Any any final final thoughts other than I want to go home. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah? Good idea? Okay. Thanks for coming. Um, okay, let me pray. Um, God of grace, we come to you in prayer boldly and through, um, and we come knowing we're accepted. We come and we have access to ask you things, to tell you things, to be real with you because of what your son has done. And we sit here, we don't know the half of it with each other's lives. There's so much in this room. <laughs> There's so much we don't know about each other, where we've been, what we've done, um, where we've come from. And yet, um, there's also this just universal sense that, well, we're all looking for you. We're looking to you. We want you to be real. We want you to be more in our lives. And so today we've explored that. I pray that your Holy Spirit will walk with each of us on this journey of knowing you and living closer to you and that what draws us closer to you may be nothing false, nothing that we do, nothing that we're responsible for, but that the gospel of grace would draw us closer to you. That the, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf would draw us closer to you. And that you would just walk the journey with us of waking us up to how good you are and how much better life is when we live close to you and when we look for your grace every day. And everyone says, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a nice afternoon.